Welcome to Excavate, Uncovering Our Place in God's Story. I'm Heather Strongmore. And I'm Jamie Dawn. We've been tracing the meta narrative of scripture as we look at the consistent role of women and God's heart for women. Like all of the best stories, the ending of God's story is very good. We're passionate about seeing the way that our understanding of God's restorative work impacts how we live every day. Jesus teaches us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. So we should be consistently aligning our prayers and subsequently our lives with this reality. Our great hope will animate our days and we believe there's particular hope for women in this story. Let's dig in. We've intentionally looked at this as an overarching story so that we can see how women have always played a vital role in God's story. So as we're getting to the end of this narrative, we're going to look today at how it fills us with a really robust hope for the world and the particular ways that it invites women to live in hope and for us to see the ways that God is writing this very good story for women and men. Our vision of eschatology, a big word that means the theology of the end of things, shapes us more than we may realize. So we want to really intentionally dedicate time to dig into this hope so that we can continue to be living into that hope with uh, clear eyes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's such a good point, Jamie. So sometimes when people think about Revelation or the, the end of God's story, they think about a lot of the ways that we've complicated things, honestly. So they think about um, the Left Behind series, if you're a millennial, <laughs> or um, maybe you were a part of different aspects of like all the, I'm just thinking of all the youth group stories that I've heard now, but <laughs> That's a complicated way of looking at it. Um, and I think the book of Revelation really is more about the revelation of Jesus. It reveals Jesus, his heart, what he's doing and what he will do in the earth. Yeah, I know. I definitely grew up in the, the classic millennial camp of being worried about being left behind and being raptured. And <laughs> like, there's so many things that if, if you're part of it, you know, and if you weren't, that's okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, but yeah, to your point, Jamie, truly the way that we think that things will end does very much shape the way that we live now and the way that we view what things are important and what things aren't important and what God will do, what our hope is. Uh, and I've really, over time, I used to think that Revelation was just kind of this random book that kind of is on its own and doing its own thing. And as I've dug into scripture more over the years in adulthood, I've really come to see it as revelation is a continuation of God's story rather than a departure from God's story. And that's so important for us to your point, Jamie, of we're looking at God's overarching narrative. And so the way that God has been caring for women, for all oppressed people, the way that God has been lifting us up and valuing us, that is going to continue. And revelation reveals the continuation of what God has always cared about and what his promises have always pointed to. So that's a big part of why we want to really dig into this today is that God's not going to stop caring about these things and 
investing in us and valuing us, he's only going to keep doing that in greater ways. That's so good. And I think so often we either really complicate things or because someone else has, and maybe we've caught a glimpse of that. Like a lot of times we just don't read the book of revelation. And so then we're either confused when we do, or we're afraid of it. And so, and it's really the book of revelation itself talks about the blessing that comes when we read it. And so, um, there's so much power in it when we actually look at it. Um, this is apocalyptic literature. So there will be parts when you're reading it that are like, Whoa, that's, there's a lot happening there. Um, it's, it also wasn't uncommon. Like there's apocalyptic literature is its own kind of thing. And so there's this unveiling that happens in it, but also there's, images there's pictures that are involved uh so we're not saying that there's like it's the easiest book to read perhaps it definitely is one of those things where you know it helps to be informed by other parts of scripture and maybe some commentaries but certainly it's it's not like we don't have to avoid it and Mm -hmm. we catch something of god's heart and even um in particular God's heart for his people that he, not only does he look forward to the day where we dwell with him, but that the first few chapters are, um, letters to churches. And so we get that part of things that God really does care about God's church. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And yeah, if you, I think, especially for women, as we've talked about many times, that women can feel we're socialized to be intimidated by scripture or things that feel quote unquote theological. And I think that's true for revelation as well, that it, we might be taught to think, Oh, that's above my pay grade. I don't have the (laughs) tools to understand revelation or interpret it. And we want to reject that and invite women into scholarship of this book it is part of god's word again like we treat it like it's this strange thing that might as well be its own book apart from the rest of scripture Mm -hmm. and it's just really not and if you've been rooted throughout this series with us and the more that you're rooted in scripture in general you're going to have the tools that you need to read revelation so we just really want to demystify some of that i think and and invite all of us to see where we see ourselves in these pages as well. So Heather, a lot of times because we don't read it or because other people have kind of shared their interpretations with us, a lot of times if you ask someone random on the street, um, what do you think heaven will be like? Most of us can't actually say. So like we said in our opening, like Jesus teaches us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so a lot of times that's too abstract of an idea. Like we don't actually think about what that means. Um, And I think a lot of us, when we think about it, we think heaven is like, we're going to maybe float in clouds and Mm -hmm. sing some songs and maybe get chubby like the cherubs that we (laughs) see. Um, Which I wouldn't hate that. Right. (laughs) But I mean, it does kind of look like a lovely existence floating out there, feeling quite free in your body. That part will be free. Yes. Um, uh, but there's 
we actually, there's a lot that we don't know about what that experience will look like. Um, there's a lot that we do though. And the parts that we do really begin to paint a beautiful picture. So part of what we want to do is kind of reorient to what does the scripture actually say about this day that is coming? Um, and so that's part of what we want to do in this episode is think through, you know, how do we move from maybe a cultural understanding of all of us learning how to play the harp and sing some songs in the sky? And how do we move into what is the Bible really have to say about it. So we're going to look at two passages side by side, um, and I'll read Revelation 7, and then Heather can read Revelation 21. Um, likelihood of us getting emotional while we read it, very high. It's very good news, very hard to read without getting choked up every single time. So be prepared. If you want to get your tissues ready, you can hit pause. We're, we're getting to the really good news. So this is Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels were sitting around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worship God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Mm, good. Okay, Revelation 21, so skipping ahead. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. <sighs> Such good news. Um, one note, because we didn't start at the beginning, um, if this is like the first time or first time in a while that you've actually read Revelation, um, when it says I, or when there's like clear conversation happening, John is receiving all of this from the Holy Spirit in um, a vision while he's secluded. Um, so mm -hmm. that's who I is in the text. Um, I know in Revelation 7, that was a part of it. So um, if that's, if you miss chapter one, or you <laughs> haven't read it in a while, that's, that's who that is. So um, but from there, we're getting a picture of what this day will look like when God is renewing all things on the earth and, um, the old things pass away, which oftentimes, you know, we think that means they literally pass away. But when we look at some of these, both the words in the Greek, but also just when you look at what the images are reflecting all of the good and beautiful things about God's very good creation are being renewed and restored um, into their most purified, beautiful version of itself. Um, and so, you know, if you have heard people say like, well, it's all going to burn up. Um, that's true in the sense of a, a purifying fire, um, but it's not going to just uh, go away and never exist, but be like it's most best purified version of, um, itself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I understand why people would want it to just be done with. And especially if that is coming from a place of pain of like, I feel really hurt and wounded by my lived experience and maybe by the environment I've been in. I, it's okay for you to feel like I just want it to be gone. And I kind of want some vengeance. Um, but here's the thing. We're going to keep talking about this. The <laughs> Lord does bring vengeance. So don't worry. <laughs> that will happen. Um, but it's a vengeance that removes all evil and restores all good. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually much better than what we in our human insight might choose. That we might in our pain, our anger, our hurt, which are all very real, we might just want to trash it. And the Lord still sees that pain and hurt and suffering and will bring a recompense for that. And he will still salvage <laughs> that which is of himself um, and that which has always been good and glorious and true and beautiful. And so I think that's that's quite good news for us as humans. I think that the Lord is just can step outside of our pain and the ways that we've been limited by our suffering and that God can see that and affirm it and lift us out from it into something bigger and more beautiful. That's good. Um, so as we read, um, surrounding the throne is every tribe and tongue and nation and language and people. And so we get this picture of the multi-ethnic bride um, coming and worshiping the Lord all in their own tongue. And I think, um, it's so easy sometimes if you've 
only kind of peripherally grown up around some of this story to just by nature picture everyone being like whatever your worship experience that you grew up with looked like. And so when you picture this worship experience um, in the new earth, then you picture what you've had. Um, uh, And that's part of why Heather and I are passionate about seeing the church on the earth look more and more like this picture um, so that we can more accurately imagine it. Um, But also like, I love this idea of there will be a day where like we get to hear every language at once and where that is something that God celebrates that he doesn't try to remove it or say that it doesn't matter or come with us. Um, and I think that's a really important and encouraging word to us. Um, and that we get to have the most beautiful version of our culture and our country uh, and our people group with us in the new creation that that is a part of what it looks like for us to worship God together. Mm -hmm. I know it's so good because I do think when I was growing up and vaguely thought about heaven, I would have questions of like, will I remember the people that I love and stuff? And like, you kind of assume, and even reading Revelation 21, where it's saying like the old things have passed away and I'll make all things new. We can have the assumption that we're almost just going to be like blank (laughs) in eternity in heaven. Um, and that is so strange that there's a reason I think why sometimes people are like, Oh, heaven sounds boring because that version of how they understand it does sound boring. (laughs) just like playing harps and being kind of this blank being that doesn't remember anything or isn't rooted in anything. And that just doesn't make sense for a God who is always telling his people to remember and for a savior who gives us communion to do in remembrance of him. Like we are always taught to remember the goodness of God. So why would God suddenly disrupt that in heaven and be like, never mind, you can stop remembering now. Um, and so part of that is like not being blank means that, yeah, we get to retain our culture and our heritage and our history and we're healed from any pain that has been associated with that. Uh, but from the beginning, it wasn't difference. That was the problem as we've talked so much about even Adam and Eve specifically that they were meant to be different. So the point is not that difference has been a part of the fall our human sinful hierarchies are what has come from the fall. And so here with this, this picture that we see in the new Jerusalem is that the sinful hierarchies are removed, but not the beauty of our differences and the beauty of our uniqueness. Those things are actually purified and we finally get to celebrate them the way we were meant to. Uh, It's, I mean, just, I think you're so right that people think it's boring because it's a partial story. Like, yeah, being a a person, because when you think about this kind of floating idea of like what our bodies would even look like, um, they're usually even like a truncated form of the human body that we see in like Mm -hmm. images. Um, And I just think, yeah, you're right. That like, we don't, it's not, a good story that we're told. Um, 
And I would say usually in those, like when I think about what it looks like for us to be worshiping in every tongue and every like language, I think that's the culture that comes with it. And so like, I, I can't imagine this right now, what it would be like to have, you know, whatever song they're singing right now in the Congo to worship Jesus, that that's going to be kind of their version of holy, holy, holy will be the same song that we're singing and that we'll get to like learn that song at the same time. Like it's, that's a very fun picture to imagine rather than this kind of blank slate idea. Um, and I think a huge part of that is, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a little bit, but it's important for us to understand that we're getting the full picture of who Jesus is. And so where we are trying to, you know, remind ourselves of who God is when we worship God now, like we, we won't be able to do anything but worship when we see him in his fullness. Um, and so there's something I think that's so beautiful about even remembering like, oh, I won't have to like remind myself that God is worthy to be worshiped, but God will be before me. And I, I won't be able to help, but remember that. Um, and I think this might be a good time for us to say that Heather and I both believe like part of our worship in the new creation will also include our work that, um, we will have some sort of work in the new creation that there won't be the toil that we now know because of Genesis three that we read about, you know, 20 episodes ago, but, um, (laughs) that our work will be purified. And there's like beautiful pictures of that in Isaiah and Zechariah um, of what it looks like. And I've always found it so profound that we know, for example, that Lydia, who we talked about um, two episodes ago, is a woman who made purple cloth. And that God preserved that part of her being forever in the word of God is quite precious to me that like her work mattered to her, but also to the Lord enough that we know about it. Um, but that like, I think we'll probably get to see it and be like, I've been wondering my whole life what that purple cloth was like. And now I get to see it. Like there she is. Um, making that purple cloth again and or to see Tabitha's beautiful clothing that she made for the community of widows that they all celebrated and loved yes so I think we have such um because we worship work in our country uh Mm -hmm. we often are like oh it'll be nice to get like a really long vacation from our work, but it will be like the most purified, holy version of our work. And that we will, there won't be the toil that comes with it. And it'll be the most clear picture of our work being worship unto the Lord. Honestly, think about that as a a woman to be in a restored workplace. Um, where we don't have to worry about all the stupid crap that we worry about now, if we are 
trying to work or for women who are also full-time homemakers who Mm -hmm. also wrestle perhaps with identity Mm -hmm. and just with energy and time and idea and like feeling purpose and all of us, whatever we're doing, I think wrestle with, am I enough? Am I doing enough? Am I accepted? Am I appreciated? Is my work valued? Is my presence valued? Is this fair? So many times we're constantly just sifting through interactions and dynamics and so many things that just take up our time and energy as women. And to think about just being fully ourselves all the time and never having to worry about any of that and how much more energy and joy that will free up (laughs) for us to just fully be ourselves and live into our gifts and our passions and offer that to the people of God and offer that to Jesus and just the joy that we can feel and the security and belonging that we will always experience. That's such a beautiful promise. Uh, yeah, that is, I love that idea and that idea of like belonging that our, we don't have to work to belong, but that we will already know our sense of belonging and that it will be uh fully there whether you know we are our work will not define us in that way and yet Mm -hmm. we won't have to risk anything as we are working unto the lord and um and so again part of why this matters isn't to like just have a fun theological conversation but because it should be the thing that we are moving towards. And so we don't just lament the fact that we're not there, but we actually think about like, if we are people in positions of power, what does it look like to actually create a sense of belonging for people in their workplace so that the workplace looks a little bit more like heaven than it did before. And so, um, these are all the kinds of things, or, you know, as we were talking about different languages being reflected in our worship like those are the reason that we should spend time imagining what this coming day is like is so that we can live into it more and more now because that's the invitation from God and that's the call of God really and so when we think about that story of work in the new creation it should not just be um kind of this hope-filled perspective but also the way that we are trying to bring transformation into the places that we live and move. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I do think that's such an important invitation that we're not just sitting around twiddling our thumbs and just like watching the clock until Jesus comes back, but that we are embracing if this is what he's always wanted. And if this is the end game, then let's start living into that now and let's start praying that things will be more on earth as they are in heaven and not just wait, but actively pursue the heart of Christ in our society and in our lived experience. Mm -hmm. So one of the other pieces that we get in these passages is that there's no, that God wipes away every tear from our eyes and that there's no pain, that there's pure wholeness. Um, I, reference the Jesus story Bible often, but I love her language for this, um, that 
every sad thing becomes untrue Mm. and that every aspect of what sin has marred becomes fully whole and restored. And so that means our bodies, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit next week, even more. Um, but I think that's a huge part of what it looks like for us to imagine no more pain, no more, uh, destruction and decay of our bodies, both, um, our own selves and what we can do to that, but also, um, just the prolonged effects of sin and decay on the body. Um, no more pain in the sense of the systems that have destroyed our world. Um, no more pain in patriarchy, no more pain in, um, not caring about God's good earth and climate change and Mm -hmm. like, um, just all of the ways in which our world has been so marked by sin will be fully whole in this, the presence of Jesus. And I think, um, there's such a beautiful picture of God wiping away every tear from our eyes, that it's not just that like that pain disappears, but that Jesus actually meets us in it, that there's a wiping away of the tears. Uh, that's very like, that's such a personal intimate image of, um, not just this kind of cosmic thing that's happening, but that there's a very particular impact of it for the ways in which pain and sin has marked our particular lives. And I think that's so beautiful and, um, really should, you know, animate our days that I think I always cared about this, but we'll talk again more about the body. Um, but I remember talking to a friend who, um, was in the process of going through cancer treatments and had her breast removed. And, um, I remember her saying as if it's like her saying the grass is really green today. Um, like, well, I'm going to have like a restored body one day, like I'm going to have my body restored again. And, having that be the kind of conversation where it wasn't, you know, a question for her, but that it was the reality that was coming. And I just remember in that moment, kind of making a decision of like, oh yeah, sometimes this can feel like a theological exercise, but it's actually the thing, like we can't wait until we need that hope in order to cultivate it. Like, when we learn good theology, it actually brings us into a place of hope and that we are people who are saying, like, I know as much as I know that the sky is blue right now, that like, there's a day coming where my body will be fully restored and that I'm not waiting to like figure that out, but that knowing this good story actually can be the thing that holds us together when we're like in those places that are the valley of the shadow of death or just those really dark places of like, man, I am experiencing the reality of the patriarchy in society. And I actually know that there's a day coming where that ends and that that is not like a maybe will happen one day, but that it, I'm fully confident that is how this story ends hmm yeah that's so good I know I I think about it as 
the reminder that pain, suffering, and evil have an expiration date. That there is, there's a time limit being set on those experiences and on the way that we have to navigate and endure and heal from those things that the things that inflict them on us will fully be removed. Um, and I, I love that picture. Like you, you mentioned of Jesus wiping away every tear. What I love about that is that he's not saying stop crying. Yeah. <laughs> it's this picture of restored emotion. I think of, healed emotion of being able to express who we are without shame to express what we're feeling without shame and fear and to suppress it. And that then the things that cause us to feel pain will be fully removed forever. And that is just such a picture of tenderness and, and this hope that it is hard We're he's assuming tears, which I also think is mm. interesting. That it's not like, why are you crying? You have a future hope. Suck it up. <laughs> it's actually assumed that they're that we're coming in with tears and that that the healing and tenderness of Christ will wipe them away as we're led into something that is fully restored and whole and new. Mm. Yeah. I think often about this is in the Psalms, but the um the phrase that I feel like so often coincides with Jesus wiping away every tear is that he stores up every tear in a bottle. And so I think about that being, for me, those are, those pictures are so tightly knit together of Jesus, like one day saying like, I'm wiping away every tear and I have treasured the tears that you have wept. And I've sat with you and I collected your tears in a bottle and like, here it is. I like have it marked. Um, and again, just like the nearness of Jesus to that, that it's not a, um, like a disconnected or dissociated from emotion kind of a thing, but like a nearness to it rather and a connectedness to that reality. And I think that's so important of like, we aren't, um, Jesus doesn't ask us to be like disembodied, disemotional people, but that he's saying there's a, there is a day coming where, um, that will no longer be a part of the story. Um, and that death and everything that brings pieces of death mm -hmm. to our lives will have an end. Mm -hmm. So good. So, um, I think like this is a good time to just say the reality is like patriarchy is not the dream of God. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think there is a day coming where that ends, where all hierarchy and the pain and suffering that comes with it is ending and that that should inform our vision of what restoration on earth really looks like that when we pray, when we live into our vision of God's work, it should look like that. Um, and I think so much of our stories are, we need to be reminded of that hope. Um, but we also need to think about like, what does it look like to be women and men who are surrendering places of power that are really unhealthy um, so that 
it looks more like this. And uh, what does it look like to have healthier versions of power so that it looks more like this restorative picture? And um, I was thinking a lot about this recently. I was in Guatemala and I was thinking about the difference between saying that this is never the dream of God. And what does it look like to see that come now as it is in heaven? And also to not just say that, like, I know best, but to say, actually, God knows best. And that does not include patriarchy. And also, what does it look like for that to be particular to each culture? Um, If we know that God loves each people group enough to have the pure celebration of culture around the throne, then that means that like what it looks like for heaven to come to earth is particular to each place and people group. And so, um, you know, I was thinking about that because depending on the year of like the UN study, uh, the UN goes and like kind of charts out what are some of the like most oppressed places for women and depending on the year, Guatemala has been in like the lowest of the Latin American uh, countries. It wasn't currently in the last um, study, but it's, I was thinking about it. And actually I said to a young woman there and I was like, this, it's not that much different than the States in the sense that the women are very anointed but don't always have the authority that comes Mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what I started imagining there was what does it mean that God still affirms the beautiful things about different cultures and removes the sting of patriarchy? Mm -hmm. And so what does that look like for each place? And so I started to imagine like, gosh, what, how do I, because a big part of it for me is, what does it look like to say to a young woman, like the one I was talking to Gabby and say, I actually believe there's a calling on her life that culture doesn't have to like have the authority on it, that there's, um, a calling on her life that might be bigger than even what the culture has room for right now. And how do I affirm that in a way that's not just like a white woman from the U S Uh, but actually rooted in the story of God to say there's a better story than what's being told right now. And so I just started imagining like, okay, the people of Guatemala are very like familial culture. And so maybe it does look like a really pure version of like family serving together or a really pure version of what um, it looks like that the church really is the family of God. And so there's, you know, people coming together that truly look like the family of God um, and having that be the picture of what leadership looks like there. Um, But it just had me in that place of both remembering that patriarchy is never the dream of God. So even when a culture might be like firmly rooted in it and it might actually look like um, almost like a colonizer perspective to say that that should not be there, that it's, that is the dream of God for every person to be able to live into their calling. Um, 
and also for God to affirm every part of culture and to have that be something that's like, it doesn't look the same in every place. And so what does it look like then? And I think there's something really beautiful about us imagining that and not just thinking about it for our own surroundings, but for us to dream about like, what does the restored version of all these different cultures actually look like? And what could that be like to have this global perspective of what the restoration of all things really does look like? Yeah, that's such a beautiful picture. And I think such an important question because the nature of sin is to distort. It's to distort God's creation, to distort God's intentions, to distort God's people. And uh, what's coming to mind is the fact that when we think about our own culture, wherever you're listening to this around the world, there's ways in which we don't even understand what our cultures are because sin has distorted them. So what we term to be our culture is defined partially by sin and by patriarchy. And so there's things about where we live and our ethnicity and culture and race that we actually don't fully experience right now because we're not experiencing the fullness of what they can be. And so that's such, I think, a beautiful promise that in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth, will actually be our full cultures and our full selves because it won't be impaired and distorted by patriarchy and sin and oppression. And so we'll actually be unlocked in a new way. It's not that we'll be less culturally distinct. I think we'll actually probably be more culturally distinct in the fullness of what it was always intended to be. Mm. I love that picture of like an unlocking. Um, cause I think about even like the ways that, you know, living more and more into freedom and what that really means as I discover like all that Jesus really paid for and also good therapy. Um, <laughs> I think about like parts of myself that have become unlocked and think about like, oh gosh, I would never want to go back to like not living with that fully online or like trying to suppress that part of myself anymore. Um, and so I think about what that will be like to, you know, some of those places where you couldn't have told me five years ago that I was suppressing, you know, whatever part of <laughs> my personality or whatever. Like, I don't even know those things at the time on some level, like it's why we need help. It's why we need other eyes in our lives. And, um, to imagine like, those things that we don't even see in our culture or see in ourselves and to imagine like the true liberation that will come. Um, but also again, to like imagine that for what does it look like to have just a taste of that even more so here to say, I wanna create communities of belonging so that people can become unlocked in ways that maybe they can't imagine right now, but in a few years, we'll be able to say like, gosh, I can't imagine that I ever lived without that part of me unlocked, but that we could actually create communities where that is a dream that is like fulfilled for people that we can create that. And I think about, um, just particularly for women who, you know, I think about 
in different cultures, um, but also in the American culture of like the first time that you tell a young girl that a woman can be a pastor or an astronaut or, you know, whatever thing that that little girl like thinks is impossible, but to actually unlock that possibility and say that it actually is possible. And that's, it's not impossible for a woman to become those things. And it, it may be difficult in this version of um, creation, but that even now, part of what it looks like for us to be people of God's story is to be unlocking those possibilities for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I think is just part of the entire theme of Revelation is this idea of revealing what's really there. And so let's we're going to transition a little bit to talk some about the the vengeance and recompense <laughs> that Christ brings. Um, and this is part of what makes Revelation so intense uh, as a book is that there is pretty significant pictures of God's wrath being poured out on the works of evil um, and of Jesus being a real warrior who is coming to avenge his people. And in some ways that is really scary. And in other ways that's deeply affirming and encouraging because again, it's all in the title revelation. It's about things being revealed for what they truly are. And so that involves evil being revealed for what it truly is and the just the chaos that evil has wrecked upon God's world in order for then that evil to be removed fully for then to be what's revealed after that to be wholeness and newness and completion and so that's a really important stage in the restoration is for evil to be exposed for what it truly is and what it has always been and the ways that it has passed itself off as good or acceptable or tempting or appealing, um, that it's actually going to be seen for what it truly is. And so I think especially for us as women, when we experience gaslighting <laughs> in the world and in our lives pretty regularly, where we say, hey, this is, the, this is something that's true. This is a reality. And people are like, nah, I don't know. I don't think so. You know, so often what we know to be true is dismissed and disbelieved. And so there's something I think uniquely for us that is so encouraging and affirming that we'll finally be believed that everything that we've been saying and pointing out and experiencing, God will show to the whole world to say, no, this is, this is true. This is what's been happening this whole time. This is the depth of this corruption and this arrogance and this destruction. This is real. And I just think there is something very terrifying about that and something so helpful and affirming and just encouraging by that as well. Oh, it's so true. I think for me, it, there's something freeing about that too, because it says at the end of the day, I don't have to be the one to fight for myself that, um, there are certainly times. And if you've listened for a while, you probably have caught a glimpse of the fact that we are not shy to occasionally, 
um, you know, stand up for ourselves. And at the end of the day, I, even when you do that, sometimes it doesn't go well, or it's not seen rightly. And the truth of the matter is there is a day coming where Jesus will purely fight for us. And I believe he does that on our behalf even now. Um, but that there's something so liberating about saying like, first of all, I don't have to fight for myself. Second of all, I'm not alone. And Jesus sees this and like, there's an unveiling that will happen of where I can maybe catch a glimpse of like, I think there might be impure motives about this right now that Jesus sees that and Jesus will reveal the truth of that. And, um, and I think, you know, we were talking before and you made a note of like, there's something in it for us in that of being fully submitted to the Lord and saying, gosh, God, I need you to reveal in me those places of impure motives. Cause you're going to one day and I'd rather you do it now. Um, so that I can live more like you and not be, not have a false appeal of the things about evil that try to masquerade as something beautiful. Um, and to not be like seduced by that, but rather to say, I want to see the, the parts of evil that are masquerading and looking like one thing, uh, rightly. And I want to see those for what they are and not be, uh, deceived and confused. And so I think there's also an invitation for us in that of like asking God to give us eyes to see things like he does. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And that's honestly a pretty scary prayer because who knows what will be revealed about <laughs> things. Maybe we really love and are pretty attached to, but the Lord's intent in that is to lead us into freedom mm -hmm. because if we are being deceived by sin and evil, then that means we're living in bondage in that deception. And so that is also the goal of Christ is not just to like mess people up <laughs> um, just for the sake of like wielding power. And that's, I think, a very human way of perceiving it. The point is to bring freedom and liberation and to break chains of evil and deception and of isolation that can come from being in bondage to that deception. And there's a couple of verses in Luke that I think about a lot. And again, Luke just understands, I think, the, the experience of those who are oppressed. And it's Jesus speaking. And he says in Luke chapter 12, verses two and three, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear, in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. So there's something about that that's terrifying, but there's something about that that is deeply relieving because for sure as women in any oppressed people group or just any experience of abuse or exploitation, there's a lot of those experiences that are never brought to light. And there's many of us who have experienced abuses and mistreatment that no one else knows about. And there's a lot of perpetrators of that who go unpunished, what feels like unpunished in our, our, in our human lifetime and maybe in their lifetimes. And yet Jesus is giving us this really profound promise that no one ever gets away with anything and no one actually covers anything up. 
And again, that should be terrifying to those in power. And that should be incredibly encouraging for those who have been oppressed and exploited. And I just think about that so much because there is often many times where it feels like justice has been denied um, or where it feels like perpetrators just get to be popular and just get to live their lives and flourish. And we're here picking up the pieces. And so I just come back to these verses all the time of Jesus saying, like, I know I saw that I heard that. And there's going to be a time when I'm going to reveal that to the world. Uh, and so. Honestly, even if people don't have a reckoning in their life for the ways that they've abused and mistreated others, they will before the throne of judgment. And that is far more fearsome than even a human judgment could be. I also think there's like, now the, the Psalms also teach us about this, but I think there's permission to pray about that too. That like, if that's what's happening, to pray from a really pure place that there would be a revealing of like the hidden things. And I think there's something about that truth of that's what's coming that gives us a permission to pray to that end, the evil would be exposed. And I think we have to be cautious because that in our impurified uh, versions that can also do things to our hearts when we stay there for too long. Um, but I think when we're aligning our hearts with the Lord and saying, actually, like, not just for my own sake, but for the sake of others who would be impacted or for the sake of themselves that like, we can never do evil without that impacting our own, like it forms us in a very negative way. We are maladapted to the ways of God when we are a part of the ways of evil. And so, um, for themselves, even for that to be revealed, but I think there's a permission that it gives us in our, in our prayers and in our walk with the Lord to be able to say, like, actually, I, I do want that to be exposed because I want other people to be protected from it. Um, and I think there's in, this is towards the very end of, um, revelation Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon, um, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And I think there's such hope in that Jesus is coming with recompense. There will be a repayment for all that's done. And I think for me, uh, that is a part of this story that I go back to often of that reality of like those who have knowingly like fought for patriarchy to be the ways of the world that there will be a day where like evil itself will have to pay for that. Um, there's a beautiful verse in revelation where it talks about like d even death itself will be swallowed up. And I believe like all its forms of patriarchy, oppression, racism, like all the forms of death that we have experienced will be swallowed up. And that is a part of that. And I think so often we don't like to talk about these attributes of God because as humans, it's hard for us to hold in tension the reality that God is purely love and purely like wants what's best for us, which means it is 
the opposite of evil. Um, and it's hard for us to hold those things in tension. And at the same time, when we play those things out, I actually do need a God who is like this. Like there is a verse in Psalm 7, 11, that God is a righteous judge and he feels indignation every day. And, um, like part of God's righteousness is that when he looks on the earth and sees the oppression on the earth and the pain on the earth, that he feels a righteous indignation about that. And I actually do need for God to be that way. Like I cannot, I don't want to worship a God who feels nothing about that, certainly, and who has the power to act on that and doesn't do anything. Um, and so to know that there is a day coming where God will fully act on the behalf of every oppressed person and will fully be coming with recompense. And I think what I, part of what brings me such hope in that is that Jesus sees everything. And so I don't have to like remind him of that. I don't have to like ever turn around and see like, did that really just happen? Like, did, did anyone just see that? Um, Cause I know that Jesus does and that he, holds it and like will be repaying evil for it's the grip that it has on the lives of the children of God. And I think um we'll probably talk about this more in the next episode. Um, but part of the beauty of this is that we will see Jesus fully face to face. And I think all those things that are hard for us to hold in tension of that reality of like, what does it mean that actually God is very tender and will come with vengeance? Like mm -hmm. those things are difficult for me to hold, but there's a day coming where it won't be, where I will see him purely. And um, I think often about, this is talking about our like, the ways of love being tainted, um, but that now we see dimly and as if in a fog um, in 1 Corinthians 13, but that there will be, like currently we do see Jesus dimly and it's like we're kind of foggy in the way that we understand him and we get glimpses of our accurate understandings of who he is, but like I won't have to remind myself that Jesus isn't speaking with a tone of contempt towards women. Like, I'll just hear it and I'll hear the voice that sounds like a rushing waterfall at the same time that it's purely tender. And I won't have to like try and comprehend that. I'll just experience it. And I won't have to remind myself of like the fact that he looks us in the eyes when we have um, those experiences of even, you know, deep pain and those kind of microaggression moments of like what just happened like that Jesus is actually going to look us in the eye and say like I saw it all and then we won't have to wonder ever about him or his care or his nature or his likeness but that we'll actually be able to purely see him fully accurate um and that those things about Jesus and and God's nature that are hard for us to hold in tension like that there's actually a day coming where I won't have to hold those things in tension, but I'll just see them accurately in their fullness. Um, and I'll be able to that part of God's graciousness to us in some ways is that we see, um, dimly 
because we can't actually see the fullness of his purity and his likeness. Um, but that all the ways that that's hard for us to comprehend and navigate and the things that we have to remind ourselves to be true about Jesus, like we'll just know him fully to be faithful and true. And that is what we will experience in its fullness and um, that, that, that will be our reality. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And just to keep adding to that, I was thinking about for some listening to this, the idea of being fully seen and of having everything that's happened to you be fully seen can feel really scary because we're so accustomed to then feeling shame and expecting blame and accusation to go along with that. If things that happened in the dark are revealed, that can feel worse for some of us. Our initial thought based on what we've experienced and our deepest fears is that then people will know that I was part of that, even if it was completely unwillingly. Um, and yeah, I just want to speak a healing word, I think, um, to those who would feel fear of that day of exposure, that it's an exposure of evil and it's a healing of that pain, that you're not culpable in that exposure and that God understands you and can separate those things and that you can be fully seen in your innocence and in your pain and that those tears will be wiped away and that pain will be removed forever. And so wherever that maybe struck a little bit of fear for anyone listening, that there, there can be a reminder and a hope, even if that feels far away, even if that's hard to access as you listen to this and as you think about that, that there's wholeness in, in, in the revelation, um, that the revelation can only lead to truth and freedom and healing on the other side. And that God is not the same as our human accusers and as the diminishing power of patriarchy, that that's not who God is. And he'll be able to respond to us differently and change the story that surrounds us. Such a good word. And I think that's why we have stories that are just glimpses, but I, what you were saying made me think of our episode with Cole Arthur Riley about the woman at the well. And like that, this is one woman who experienced the truth of like a revealing being a gift to her so much so that she wanted everyone else to experience it. And I think that's why we get glimpses of stories like that, because it reminds us that that is a hope filled thing that there's something in that that's like, this is a good story. There's good news that um, even where a revealing may have been something in this earth that is not good news, that there's a purity to it that comes with Jesus. And I think, um, yeah, I just love ending on that word of hope, Heather. And mm -hmm. so I think there's so much hope for us as people who have seen the reality of sin on the earth to know that there is a day coming where we will see um, the end of that, where 
death and decay and distortion and destruction has its end. And that, um, again, that that should and can animate our days that we can live um, knowing that we have the opportunity to be a part of God's fulfilling that even now that the earth would look a little bit more like that. Thanks for joining us today. This has been such a good reminder of the story that God is writing in the earth, that it is a hope filled story. And we're looking forward to unpacking this even more and all the ways that that impacts us um, in our coming story, but in our the uncovering of our stories right now. And so we hope that as you continue to uncover your place in God's story, that this has given you a picture of hope and healing. And we look forward to continuing to uncover that with you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Excavate Podcast. And we look forward to continuing this conversation with you. 